This sermon will kind of be the introduction to unpacking a little bit more of those supplies that God has given us as a congregation, as a church, uh, to rejoice in the Lord, to be inviting to others, transparent with one another, and united in the faith. And so this morning, as we consider what it is to be rooted in the gospel, we'll be looking together at Ephesians chapter 3, particularly verses 14 to 21. And so let's give ear to the reading of God's Word. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak to us as we come to hear your word together this morning. That indeed we would hear of your Son, Jesus Christ and we be filled by the power of your Spirit to know and to believe all that you have to say to us here this morning. And so, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to understand and receive the good news that you have shown us and that you have declared to us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. What is the most important part of a house? Is it the roof that protects your head from the rain and snow? Is it the walls that hold the roof up? Is it the bedroom where you can sleep at night? Maybe it's the bathroom where you can take care of business. No. Anyone who has built a house knows that the most important part is the foundation. Without a strong and level foundation, the whole house will be in danger of severe damage, uh, even collapse. So the foundation is the most important part of any structure, and the same is true of the church. The church of Christ and also each of our lives individually. What is the foundation of your life? Is it strong enough to weather the storms and trials and difficulties that come your way? Well, as we consider this part of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus this morning, we'll understand his call for the Ephesian Christians to build their lives upon the firm foundation of the love of God in Jesus. And so as we unpack this passage, three points will really guide 
uh, our consideration. First, God's glory. Second, God's gospel love. And third, full hearts. God's glory, God's gospel love, and full hearts. And the main goal this morning is is to see how this passage, and, and indeed the whole Bible, teaches us that the gospel of Christ is the only foundation for a thriving Christian life and church. The gospel of Christ is the only foundation for a thriving Christian life and church. And so, the first point, God's glory. God's glory. This passage that we just read is a prayer. It's it's the prayer of Paul's heart for the Ephesian church. Um, But not only for them. This is a prayer for God's people all over the world and throughout time because it's a prayer for the church. And so because this prayer has such a massive scope, it's important for us to consider not only what Paul is praying for, but to whom he is praying. You see, Paul says he is kneeling. He is bowing his knees. Before who? The Father, from whom all families are named. Well, what what does that mean? (laughs) From the context, it seems that Paul is using this phrase of God's heavenly and earthly naming to refer to his supreme authority over all things, all that he has created. God is the maker and sustainer of the whole universe. And so he possesses the sole right to rule and reign over his creation, whether in heaven or on earth. But we also see that in verse 20, that this God rules over his creation with all power. Not only does he have the right and authority, but he has the might. He is able to do far more than all we ask or imagine. Friends, we can't even imagine the power that God exercises as he rules over the whole universe and every detail of our lives. What kind of power can do this? What kind of power can uphold the whole created order, visible and invisible, and that by his word? Lastly, we hear Paul describe God as possessing all the riches of heavenly glory, verse 16. The Father of our Lord Jesus is the truly glorious one, the one worthy of the worship of angels, the one who will be exalted in all the earth. God's glory shines with all of his perfections, and no one can compare to him. So why does this all matter? (laughs) Why does Paul include all these details about who God is, even as he's praying to to the Lord? I believe it's so that we can recognize that the one to whom he is praying is the one who has all authority and power to do everything he wishes. That God is a heavenly king who rules with power for his glory over his creation. And the amazing thing is that God exercises his glorious dominion over everything for the good of his people, for our good. Do you believe this? There's an ancient story 
that tells of two brothers who, like many brothers, didn't always get along. The older of the brothers was very hardworking, disciplined, and always striving to earn the approval of his very wealthy father. While the younger brother would often be found slacking off, disrespecting their father, and dreaming of the day that he could get away to a better life. Eventually, the younger brother decides to forsake his family and leave home, and to run after all the pleasures that the world has to offer. The older brother just scoffs and continues his labors. As the months and years pass, his younger brother ends up falling on hard times, homeless, hungry. He's desperate to find food and shelter. So the younger brother begins to think, maybe my father will take me back. Maybe he'll just give me a job so I won't die out here cold and alone. But he's racked with guilt, shame for all that he has done. He's deeply afraid that he won't be welcomed back. But then one day, the older brother, as he's working on the property, sees his father running out and watches him run to, of, of all people, his younger brother, who was still far off. The older brother sees his father lavishly welcome and embrace his worthless younger brother and even hears him say that he's going to prepare a rich feast to celebrate his return. The older brother becomes bitter and angry toward his, both his brother and his father. Why didn't I get that kind of generosity from my father? I mean, after all, he proudly thinks, I'm the one working day after day, slaving away in my father's fields. All my brother ever did was disrespect him and leave me to do all the work. Now, believe it or not, these brothers, at the end of the day, actually had more in common than they realized. You see, they both believed the lie that their father didn't really care about them. The younger brother thought the world had more for him than his father was willing to give and, and would maybe only take him back as a hired servant. The older brother thought his hard labor was the means to earn his father's affection, but he was constantly disappointed. Both these brothers missed the reality that their father loved them no matter what they did or didn't do. He would always care and provide for them. Perhaps by now you've noticed that this story is Jesus' parable of the prodigal son that he told to help us understand that God is a father who loves those who run away from him into sin and shame, just as he loves those who in their pride think they can earn his favor. You see, God's glory, his delight, is in showing compassion to profoundly broken people. And so that leads us to our second point, God's gospel love. How do you relate to God? What does your relationship look like? What does he think of you? 
If you struggle with fear or insecurity with that question, you're not alone. I think we all tend to fall into what Puritan pastor John Owen called hard thoughts of God. When we begin to see God as angry, stingy, or just plain cruel, but then we see him wrongly. You see, Paul's prayer here is a prayer for us to truly and deeply know the gospel love of God, a love that is so vast it surpasses knowledge. But where do we begin? Maybe you've noticed that this passage starts with, for this reason. Whenever we see something like that, especially in a New Testament letter, it's important that we look at the surrounding context and ask, what reason is he talking about? (laughs) Well, here, the reason that Paul is alluding to is really the whole first part of the letter. (laughs) He's saying, for this reason, after all that I've said, um, but especially chapter 2. And if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, the first few verses of chapter 2 tell us that we and all mankind are by nature dead in sin. We are slaves to our sinful desires, and we find ourselves under the just wrath of God. In this condition, certainly fear runs deep. We look for ways to protect ourselves from the brokenness of the world, to protect ourselves from God himself. But like Adam and Eve's fig leaves, all our attempts to hide our sin from God, all our attempts to numb the the lingering dread that something is deeply wrong within us are empty and ultimately lead us just to further bondage. Like the younger brother we become slaves to worldly amusements. Or like the older brother, we bind ourselves to prove our worthiness by our own hard work. Either way, in our sin, we cut ourselves off from the life-giving love of God. But Paul continues in chapter 2 to say, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, God's love comes comes to us unearned, undeserved. He loves people who have rejected him, his authority, and have gone their own way. He loves people who, in their pride, have attempted to prove themselves worthy by their religious duties. But friends, God's love comes to us by his free grace, a love that is most clearly seen in God's giving of his own son, Jesus, who, as we heard last week, is filled with grace and truth. And when Jesus died on that cross bearing the weight of our sins upon his shoulders. He purchased salvation from sin, salvation from fear and shame. He purchased us so that we could dwell in the loving presence of God forever. This is the good news of the gospel. 
And so Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us that we would be rooted and grounded in this gospel love of God. Rooted like an oak with roots that go deep. Grounded like a skyscraper whose foundation reaches to bedrock. Friends, God's love is the only foundation strong enough, sturdy enough, upon which to build our lives because only His love is unchanging and unfailing. It will never die. So nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from His love. And in the gospel of Jesus, we're free, finally free from that weight, that burden of guilt and sin, from our shame and our fear. The gospel frees us from the trap of performance for God. The gospel tells us that God's love is constant for us on our worst days as on our best days. Maybe you're sitting here this morning struggling to believe this. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. But we can, you and I can know the gospel love of God though it can never be fully comprehended. But we can know his love because he gives us the strength of his Holy Spirit to help us embrace Christ by faith. What does God think of you? Christian, listen. He loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you. And he is with you, always. In God's love, you can have a true security because he's not changing his mind. The security that we have in Christ gives us a confidence that this world could never give. A confidence that doesn't depend on circumstances or money or performance of Christian disciplines. We are free, free from bondage to the opinions of others, free from our slavery to the world's ideas of success and value. Are you successful? We are free, free from trying to put God in our favor. And that's the life that God longs to give to us, a life of confident freedom with hearts full of his gospel love. And so our third point, full hearts, full hearts. God is glorious, full of gospel love, and he wants to fill us. So let's get really practical here. How can we know the love of God in our daily lives? How might we, as Paul says in this passage, be filled with all the fullness of God? We must feed on Christ, to feed our faith on him. In John 6.35, Jesus said, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's talking about a fullness, right? That he wants to give us. And so we can follow Paul's example and, and come to the Father in prayer. This is a key piece of what it is to be filled with the fullness of God, that we would ask him to fill us with the love of God, with, with Christ that God would, 
as verse 16 says, strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. But why do we pray? Because we know we need God's strength. We can't just achieve this fullness on our own. We can't find it just by looking around in the world. And so we pray that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith because we know we lay empty until we are filled with him. Friends, may our hunger be so satisfied in Christ that we have no taste for the things of this world. But what does that fullness in Christ actually look like? How can we stand on this solid foundation of the gospel and actually experience the freedom that God longs to give us? And the answer is by faith. By faith in God's promises. We live as people who partake of and share the supplies of grace that God gives to us. And like I said earlier at JVC, here we have a list of our spiritual supplies that that God has given to us as a particular church. Joy, invitation, transparency, unity. And so the next several sermons will unpack these in more detail, but I want us to take a quick look at how the gospel really is the foundation for each of those supplies. So as we seek to be these kinds of people, we always come back to Christ. Because if indeed our glorious Lord has forgiven us, accepted us, and loved us with an unfailing love, that is a reason to rejoice. And we can rejoice no matter our situation because his love is unchanging. Our joy is not bound to circumstances or wrapped up in getting what we think we need. Our joy is rooted in the unchanging and faithful God who has promised to be with us, who is for us, and who will surely bring us home. So we rejoice together in the hope of God's glory. Our hearts are full. If indeed we are welcomed into God's family by the grace of Jesus, certainly we can invite others into our lives as well. The Lord invited us when we were a mess. What do we have to lose if we invite messy people into our lives, into our church? How could we not freely invite others to join us on a journey to know Christ when we ourselves were so freely invited? Our hearts are full. If indeed we are exposed as desperately sinful people, seeing that it took the crucifixion of God's own Son to redeem us, God already knows. He knows all of our sins. And He still loves us. He still forgives. And He still accepts. So we can be honest with ourselves about what is wrong within us. We can be transparent with others about the depths of our brokenness. We don't need to pretend that we have everything together. Everyone is struggling and suffering all around us, but we can run to the arms of Jesus together. Friends, our hearts are full. Lastly, if indeed we have been brought into the family of God, loved by the Father, adopted as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we can truly love one another, even if we don't agree, even if we don't always get along. We can learn to love one another, working together for God's mission and embracing our unity in Christ around the world. If we have been so united to Christ that he will never let us go, we can surely be united to one another by the Spirit who strengthens and helps us in his love. Our hearts are full. So, friends, to conclude, the gospel of Christ is the only foundation for a thriving Christian life and church. So may we, as redeemed people by the blood of Jesus, so build our lives and this church on the solid foundation of the gospel as we find and know and experience the fullness of God's love, learning to share that with others for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord, our Father, thank you for loving us with a love unfailing and unending, that truly your love is the only foundation upon which we can build our lives, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us. Help us. We are tempted in so many different ways to build our lives on the things that this world has to offer that, that we think will bring us fullness and satisfaction when you alone are able to do this. So help us, Lord, to cling to you by faith, to know that you love forgive and accept us on the merits of Jesus alone. Pray in his name. Amen.